something which touches all of us. We have to find our way. I tried to point out some of the strengths that we can lean on. And one of them, of course, is knowing that when we react to difficult situations with despair and anger, that doesn't give us strength. It feeds into what created those conditions in the first place. Because people's horrific acts are often born from a a terrible ignorance. Terrible ignorance. And they inflict suffering as a result. But if we dwell on that ignorance, you know the Buddha said it so beautifully in the Dhammapada, Hatred can never be overcome by hatred, but by love alone. You know it. We all know this. But to put that into practice is a completely new dimension for many of us because we've learned how to react. We've spent a long time reacting. How do you undo that habit? And one way is to begin the forgiveness right now. We just have to forgive that. But that doesn't mean that what was done is okay. We're not condoning it. We don't remain silent about how awful it is. We do not condone it. We are shocked. We express our dismay, our shock, our horror. But we must forgive. And the forgiveness is our offering to the people that follow us. So we teach that forgiveness. We rehabilitate. We introduce the possibility for this not to happen by being tolerant of each other. If we cannot forgive, we have to have compassion. So that's a kind of tolerance. But this is a fearful thing to do because hating what seems so hateful may feel like a wise response, but it isn't. It's just not wise. It doesn't lead to peace. It leads to suffering, to misery. I don't expect you to believe me, but just try it out. Try it on. You go into a shop to get a dress and you first try it on before you buy it. Now, don't just buy this, but try it on and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, then stay with what has always been and see the repercussions of that. It's by knowing the results, seeing them as they really are, that we begin to learn what supports the goodness in us and how much that blesses others. I'll tell you a a little story about a dervish. You know, the dervishes are the mystical practitioners in Islam. And there was a dervish that became very famous. He used to hang out in a coffee shop 
and he was so peaceful and joyful that people used to love being around this dervish. They would visit him and ask him questions, and he always knew the right answer. He was wise. And people used to ask him, how did you get so wise? How did you become so peaceful? And he always used to say, it's because of what's in the Quran. And then one day, somebody rather challenging came up to him and said, so you always say that you got this way because of what's in the Quran. What is in the Quran? And he said, in my Quran, there are two pressed flowers and a letter from an old friend. That's what he said. The most ordinary things in a precious book. Maybe just bookmarks. But if we could bookmark in our own hearts those very special things that mean something to us and protect them, then we would know how much more important it is to bookmark our courage to protect the love and compassion in our own hearts. Uh, thank you for sharing this uh, beautiful quote. When I feel compassion towards a fortunate being, it is unbearable, the pain. It becomes your suffering. So how does equanimity play a role in this? Does true compassion always have to accompany equanimity? Yes. It's a process. We have to develop it. It says, your prime goal must always be to generate and nurture in your heart a love that is such that the pain of others is unbearable to you. Carry on like this. See, carry on like this until the birth of true compassion, natural and spontaneous. This is a goal. This is something that we work towards. It doesn't mean that we can achieve it immediately, but if we're working towards that, then we're protecting that and we're engaging with it. We're creating that possibility in ourselves over and over again and by repetition. It's like a mantra. You begin to repeat it so much that your mind understands that more and more. And it grows familiar with that, and it practices it. It practices it until it learns to perfect it. Just like if you learn a chant, you try to memorize it. It takes a while till you feel comfortable with the words. Then, after you know it by heart, you don't even have to remember the words. You don't make any effort to chant it. It just comes out by itself, because the heart knows those words so well. Compassion is not just a word, but it is a, a way of being. And how much harder we have to work to develop that and inform our heart that that is the most exalted way of being that the heart can find. And so if we culminate that state 
with wisdom, then we will have truly followed in the footsteps of the Buddha. So we're talking about an enlightened compassion, the compassion of an arahant. But we're on the path, we're developing that. We must not give up developing that. Even if we don't succeed completely, but we may have moved away from hateful feeling, we have moved, moved closer to a forgiveness feeling. And that whatever little bit that we can accomplish day by day, eventually one day we will realize that this feeling is coming by itself. We don't have to wake it up. But if we don't try, what is the option? Thank you, How do we find our resolve again if events have shaken our mindfulness and our resolve and it's not yet strongly established enough? Well, life is always going to shake us up. <laughs> I think it's really important for us to take refuge in something that is very exalted, that we can really trust in deeply, and to have good spiritual friends that can encourage us when we're that shaken up. And so I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in his teaching, and I take refuge in those who have accomplished his teaching and those who are practicing to accomplish his teaching. And by doing that, whenever I quote-unquote fail, I try to remember my refuge to give me strength to reflect that there is no failing. We're human beings and we make mistakes. But the important thing is not to repeat them and not to be critical, to forgive ourselves. And just rejoice that we have a refuge and pick ourselves up and start again. So if we look with disparaging eyes or a disparaging heart on our efforts, then we have to abandon that disparagement because that's not a, a spiritual friend to us. And we have to bring within us the spiritual friendship of the Buddha which would never disparage us. The Buddha was incredibly forgiving. He was insulted. He was abused. He was so tolerant. Everyone that came in front of him would receive a good treatment no matter how much they abused him. In fact, he once pointed out to a person that was upset that the Buddha didn't react to his abuse and who wanted to know why the Buddha wasn't upset. And the Buddha said, well, if you invite people for a meal and they don't eat your food, to who does it belong? In other words, he didn't swallow the anger that people brought to him, the critical opinions that people brought to him. He just spoke the truth, brought forth joy and radiance, and if people could see that, they would fall on their knees and pay respects to him. And if they couldn't see it, they would leave as poor as they had come. But you, having walked the path and having tasted the Dhamma, and if there is a shaking up going on of resolve, you just 
Repeat your refuge. Call up your close spiritual friends. Sit together or speak together frequently. Get encouragement. And when there's a chance, you come to Satisaraniya Hermitage and we will chant and support you here. Does that help a little bit? So, in terms of this systemic social abuse, you know, these words are very, very powerful and suggestive of some kind of enemy. Do you know, there is no enemy except how the mind picks things up, and there is no system in the world that is not abusable. And as we can see, even the schools where children went to study could become places of horror and abuse. Even if the church is saying that there was good done there, maybe, but there was also an environment, a context of terrible abuse. But in spite of that, this whole world is not a hopeless case. There is so much goodness in this world. There are so many examples of extreme compassion, of sublime compassion, acts of great heroism and sacrifice. And you just look around at all the hospitals and intensive care units in, in many countries of the world over where people have even died for the sake of trying to save others from COVID. So if we focus ourselves and our minds on abuse and get addled with the hatred that spreads out of that, then we become contaminated. And we have to turn our minds away from that and look at the goodness and cultivate that instead. That's the only resolution that we can find. We will not find a resolution for a system of abuse because this realm is full of suffering and it's the nature of this realm. It's not separate from the nature of this realm. We were born in human realm and the definition of the human realm is there will be suffering and there will be non-suffering. It's not heaven. And it never will be. And it's impermanent. I didn't make this up. I learned this. And we can learn it if we study the teachings, if we study our own minds, study the true nature of the mind and the body. Then we will not believe what we think, but we will start to know what we see through our meditation practice. And that knowledge is much deeper than what we hear, which is so many opinions. But if you want to understand the truth of the way things are, then we have to look in the heart. And we do that most profoundly through silencing the thinking mind and listening and having insight into that dimension of deep inner stillness. Please try it out and you'll feel some joy that is not a joy that can be destroyed or diminished by any human act whatsoever. Hello, Aya. So people act out of suffering. And what has happened to the children in residential schools was perpetrated by people who are suffering. I meditate, I have an understanding, 
compassion is not a difficult thing for me yeah. to feel. In fact, it can be quite overwhelming. But then you have to do something constructive with it. Sitting on my meditation cushion when I could be doing more for people who are actually suffering. And I wouldn't like it very much if people could do something, but they were busy meditating. Not that I don't think you need to meditate all the time. I think compassion is the most exalted quality that we can develop. But if we go out into the world trying to help others constructively, and what incredible examples of those nurses and doctors in the ICUs are to beings everywhere of the heights of compassion. But what we also need to remember is that if we want to act with compassion, we need to find the compassion from within ourselves that is not going to be shaken by these terrible things to the point where we become dysfunctional or hateful towards those who are ignorant. That will disempower us. But we have to be careful what kind of mind state we engage in compassionate action. So once you get to the point where you're not angry, you're not hating anybody, but you want to do something useful, yes. this is where my question is. So in your life, do whatever you can that is useful. Engage in kind acts as much as you can, including being kind to yourself. Kindness means forgiving ourselves for things that we haven't been able to do or for our, our feeling of disempowerment. And this is a, a time that the human world, the planet, is undergoing some very major shifts, and we don't know where we're going to end up and how, but we never did know. So in the transition from one lifestyle to another, we're kind of figuring ourselves out, so we try to stay present here and now for whatever we're doing and keep doing it and it'll become apparent to us what we need to do. We, If we worry and get fearful and exhausted by a situation, then we're not practicing very wisely. So it's in little steps, little incremental steps that we find our way through the tangle. It's a web. And it, it takes a lot of mindfulness, a lot of care. All the qualities that the Buddha suggests we develop are essential, quintessential for us now. We have to figure out our IP. You know, our IP is not our internet protocol, but it's our in intention in the present moment. What is our present moment intention? What is our insight here and now? primary insight. What is our independence coming from? How can we free ourselves from all the delusions that we constantly recreate through the residue of our ignorance? Because we still have so much delusion. And that's the reason that we get caught up in the hateful deeds of this day. These hateful deeds have been going on forever. That's the real tragedy. 
and that's why there are hell realms. So samsara is thick with hatred. And hatred comes from ignorant leadership. You know if you go to work for a company and you have a good person at the top, that's going to filter all the way down. And so it is if you have a corrupt person at the top, it filters all the way down. So we are chief presiding officers of our own body-minds. We cannot control the body, but we can train the mind. And if we know the basic ways of training this mind, we can create a lot of good. We can radiate that goodness towards others. We can be good spiritual friends towards others. There's so much blessing we can bring forth from a mind that is well-trained. And the other good thing about training the mind is that it reduces the greed, hatred, and delusion in the world by one human being, which might not seem like a lot, but we have to start where we are. Thank you, Aya. Have you ever heard of Joseph Campbell, a wonderful anthropologist? He didn't die that long ago. I have a quote from Joseph Campbell. We have not even to risk the adventure alone, for the heroes of all time have gone before us. The labyrinth is thoroughly known. We have only to follow the thread of the hero path and where we had thought to find an abomination, we will find a god, something godly. And where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. And he means here our deluded notion of a self. And where we had thought to travel outward, we shall come to the center of our own existence. And where we had thought to be alone, we shall be with all the world. It's quite deep. It's a little souvenir of today. You said something the Buddha said, if you go there, you will go mad. Do you care to expound on that? It's about karma, karma. If you put in good causes and conditions, then good karma will result. And I want to irrigate my life with good karma and purify the unwholesome karma of my life. That's my project. I believe that will end suffering. <laughs>